Well, Lord, your words are sweet to the taste, sweeter than honey. Let them be our daily meditation and our study. Give us ears to hear, for we marvel at your instruction. Train us in righteousness, grant us patience and persistence, and equip us for every good work. Inspire our faith and give us voices to proclaim your message. Guide our feet and keep us from every false way. For you alone speak the words of life. Amen. Well, last week we looked at the end of the ninth chapter of Luke, where Luke described Jesus resolved to embark on a journey that will end in Jerusalem and at the cross. Remember that story described three people who encountered Jesus on the road and recall how Jesus responded to the two volunteer followers and the one draftee who said, but first, not yet, how that showed how the call to join Jesus requires a response of complete commitment. Now, not later. In today's reading from the 10th chapter of Luke, Luke's account of the second mission of Jesus' followers. The first mission was in the ninth chapter and the 12 disciples were sent out. The second mission focuses on the experience of mission as the arena of conflict and division, including conflict with cosmic forces. The spotlight falls on participating with Jesus in his mission with its emphasis on utter dependence on God, on the mixed responses that follow the good news. Now I'm told that at one of the women's retreats the Berea ladies have attended, that notion was called FROG, F-R-O-G, standing for fully rely on God. So listen now for the word of God. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person, but if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. 
Whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever rejects you rejects me, and whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. And then skipping on down, the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name, even the demons submit to us. He said to them, I watch Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. See, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over the power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, as a psychologist, I can tell you about blame. People tend to take credit and to assign blame. Take the Garden of Eden, for example. Adam blamed Eve, and Eve blamed the snake, and the snake didn't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> well, most of, most of our fears are learned, but some, some may be hardwired into our brains, what you might call instinct. Fear of snakes is a pretty good candidate for a basic human fear. Most people fear them, and those who say they don't, we don't really believe them, do we? <laughs> yes, I know that many snakes are not poisonous, and some, like rat snakes, they do work that we really appreciate. But most of us have a healthy fear of snakes. As with most fears, my memories or any memories we have of snake experiences are intense and uncomfortable. I'll tell you, it's been 45 years since I worked one summer with emotionally disturbed children at a mental health center in another city. Several of us ran a therapy group that included various kinds of field trip events, and one of which was to the nature center at a city park. The specialist there brought out a long, thick, ugly-looking python snake. And he told all the kids all about it. And then he offered us the opportunity, the adults, to have the snakes crawl on us. Well, the other psychologist and I, we were young and foolish fellows who just could not chicken out on a dare, especially when the young fellows who were our patients were cheering us on. And so each of us allowed that long, thick python to crawl up one arm and around the neck and then down the other arm. And that memory still makes my skin crawl. <laughs> well. We were trusting that if we got in trouble, the other folks would come to our rescue instead of running off. Well, maybe snakes are one of the ways that young boys terrify their mamas. Because I have to tell you, Paul III collected a variety of fake snakes. This one, for example. He's got a little rattle. He always got a ride out of mom. 
fact, when they were looking for it, Paul said he was cleaning up his room the other day and he ran across this one, which is more the size of that python that went around my neck. Ugh. He also had a huge poster that we, she wouldn't let us get out of North Carolina's poisonous snakes. We have, I don't know, 30, 40 kind of poisonous kinds of snakes in North Carolina. including those copperheads we found around our house occasionally. Well, by this time, my guess is that you'll be real happy for me to get on to the 10th chapter of Luke and to follow the instruction in the first half that sermon title, Forget the Snakes. <laughs> Please forget the snakes. In that first verse of chapter 10, we learn three things. First, we learn that Jesus did not call just 12 disciples. He appointed 70 others. That number 12 strongly associated with the 12 tribes descended from the 12 sons of Israel, that is, the Jews. But 70, and I know some of you may have Bible that say 72. I'll tell you about that. 70 was the number of nations of the earth that are mentioned in the 10th chapter of Genesis. And the reason 72 got in there, that was in the 70 was in the Hebrew Bible, 72 was in the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, the Septuagint, that uh, some folks read. Nonetheless, it would, was representative of the nations of the earth. Secondly, we learned that their mission was to go on ahead of them to prepare the way. And third, we learned that the 70 were sent out two by two. They were sent out in pairs. This mission by pairs will come up again it comes up in Acts 8 with the mission of Peter and John to Samaria. It comes up in Acts 13 where Barnabas and Paul are traveling together. And in Acts 15, the mission of Paul and Silas. Uh, they also sent folks out two by two. By two. You needed to have two witnesses to uh, prove something in court, not just one. Well, in the... Verses 3 through 11, Jesus commissions the 70 with instructions that we can learn from, too. The third verse tells us that the mission that they and we are sent on puts us in hostile territory. Go on your way. See, I'm sending you like lambs into the midst of wolves. It's dangerous. Verse 4 tells them things to not do. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. In other words, travel light. Don't get overburdened with possessions. I know that's the way most husbands would like for their wives to pack for vacation. <laughs> but they don't. And truth be told, we don't either. <laughs> In fact, the main person I've ever known to travel this light was a fictional character. In the last 20 years or so, the author Lee Child has written 21 books about a retired military police major named Jack Reacher. Reacher is a big, tall, strong, quiet, observant, persistent man who travels around the country getting involved in various kinds of problems and standing up for the weak, solving crimes and dispensing justice sometimes rough justice. In the movie they made about him, Reacher was played by Tom Cruise. 
But that was just cause the young Clint Eastwood was no longer available. <laughs> In each book, the narrator explains that Reacher carries nothing but his toothbrush, a little cash, and the clothes on his back. When his clothes need washing, after a little while, he just buys new ones and trashes the old ones. For most of us, going without any possessions, well, that would be problematic. But traveling light, unencumbered by lots of things, does make travel easier. So what was the idea behind that instruction, greet no one on the road? The point was to, for the, these 70 going out to stay focused on the mission, to not get distracted by lesser goals. They had a mission from Jesus and they weren't to get distracted. The seventh verse says, remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, and not to move about from house to house. That direction to eat what's set before you is not just about the etiquette of being a good guest. It's an instruction not to go shopping around for the best host, but to take what you're offered. And again, stay focused on the mission. Now we usually think of the hosting side of hospitality, the hospitality that we show to our guests. But Jesus wanted the 70 to pay attention to the guest side of hospitality too. And perhaps, just maybe, Jesus was also telling these good Jews to be prepared to eat what wasn't kosher when they visited with Gentiles. Now the eighth verse tells the mission, cure the sick who are there and say to them, kingdom of God has come near to you. Verse 10 warns them that not everybody's going to welcome that message and tells them how to deal with rejection. That shake the dust off your feet and say even the dust we wipe from our feet in protest. But know this, the kingdom of God has come near. You may remember from last week that back in chapter 9, the disciples James and John they were ready to call down fire on a Samaritan village that had rejected the message. And Jesus there said, just shake the dust off. And he added that part about, say, the kingdom of God has come near. As Berea's famous Sunday school teacher, Wesley McGee, likes to say, there is forgiveness, but there's still consequences. <laughs> now, the title for this sermon involved two instructions. Forget the snakes, remember the prayer. Do you remember the prayer part of these verses from the 10th chapter of Luke? It was subtle, but it was there. Jesus said to the 70, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. We are not commissioned, we're not sent just to proclaim the gospel and proclaim that the kingdom of God is at hand. We're also to pray that God will send out laborers for that harvest. We pray for laborers because, well, for one thing, it's not just up to us. There's more work to be done than just we can do. And we can't do it on our own. In the last verses we read from Luke's 10th chapter, the 70 return. They come back with joy. 
they were especially pleased that even demons submitted to them. And Jesus told them that they had authority over symbols of evil, like snakes and scorpions. Jesus rejoiced with them. But he said that was not what was most important. He said, nevertheless, do not rejoice on this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Our joy comes not from our gifts, our powers, but from knowing that Almighty God has created us, redeemed us, forgiven us, accepted us, has loved us, and loves us still. Thanks be to God. By the power of the Holy Spirit, go forth to serve your neighbor, to love people you don't even like, and to live in witness to God's mercy. The blessing of God, source of life, power of life, redeemer of life, be with you now and always. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.